So good to pray together, and we just believe that God is going to hear those prayers and things happen. Things change when we pray. Amen. So it's time for the word now, and uh, we've been doing this series on one John, the book of one John, um, over the last um, few weeks, and today we are in chapter four, and we have the great pleasure of hearing from Arnie tonight, who's going to be bringing the word and um, just opening that up for us. Arnie is a member of our congregation. He's um, a barrister of nearly nine years now, so it's really great to have his um, unique perspective. Um, Did I say that right? Is that correct? Yeah, I I didn't realize it was that funny. Um, So it's great to have his unique perspective um, on what God is doing in the world and just hear a little bit of what God has been doing in his life as well. So let's give him a warm welcome as he comes and brings the word to us. But before that, we are going to have Becky, who is going to do our reading for the evening, which is 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Thanks, Becky. Hi, everyone. I'm Arnie. As Joel mentioned, I am a barrister of nine years experience, very specific. So yeah, thank you for that. Um, Some of you might be wondering, well, what on earth is a barrister doing standing up in church speaking on 1 John 4? And it's because, well, I think I fundamentally believe that God gives us various skill sets. And whilst we can apply those professionally, 
we also have an obligation to use those to build up the spirit, also the church of God, where he calls us to. Um, and I've kind of felt a burning desire to be able to, you know, speak um, messages like this. So, yeah, this is a manifestation of that. So, um, hopefully it answers uh, that question. So, um, yeah, um, so as you know, my kind of Monday to Friday is spent wearing a wig and a gown, standing up in court. You've seen legal dramas, people shouting at witnesses, you're lying, aren't you? And then they start crying and the judge bangs the kind of hammer. That, yeah, that is my nine to five, but obviously I'm not going to take that approach with you today because this is the summer of love. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know, that is the kind of sermon series. That's not just me kind of saying funny things. Um, and <laughs> um, again, keeping with the whole kind of barrister theme, an interesting story about that. Um, has anyone here been to Israel? Yeah, yeah, a few. Good, good. Holy, holy crowd. I like that. Um, yeah, I went there a couple of years back with my wife, um, Ellie. And when we were in the airport at Heathrow, it must have been a time of kind of heightened security tensions because what was happening is if you were traveling in a couple, they'd be splitting you up. And then they were actually had security service personnel there asking you questions. Um, and they were asking each couple the same question about the other person and seeing if they give the same answers. Basically, it was to work out whether or not they were being infiltrated by foreign spies. Now, I know, all very dramatic. So anyway, I was there with Ellie. They split us up. So they said to Ellie, what do you do? And she says, well, I'm a doctor in London. And they also said to her, what does Arnie do? He's a lawyer in London. My interrogator asked me, what do you do? Um, well, first he said, what does Ellie do? And I said, she's a doctor in London. And he said, what do you do? Um, and then I kind of explained, well, I'm a barrister. And he, he wasn't really getting it. So I was trying to do that English thing of saying the same thing again slowly and loudly, somehow thinking that was going to break through. Didn't really happen. So I think I confused him even more by trying to explain that I wear a, a blonde wig and a, and a gown and I stand up in, in court and didn't really have a clue what was going on. And then he asked me, well, where do you work? And again, the funny thing about barristers is they, they work in these places called chambers, and they're often named after their address. So if this church was a collection of barristers, it would be called Wickham Road. It wouldn't be called kind of St. Peter's. So he said, where do you work? And I was like, 23 Essex Street. By this point, he had no clue what was going on. Anyway, the real drama broke out where he then went to confer with the person who'd been speaking to Ellie to see if we'd been given the same answers. Now, it turns out that whilst there isn't a direct translation of the word barrister in modern Hebrew, there is a direct translation of the word barista. <laughs> Not really helped my kind of addition of the, the blonde wig. So whilst Ellie was correctly telling her interrogator that I was a lawyer that worked in London, I had been explaining to mine that I was essentially a cross-dressing coffee shop worker that worked in Essex. <laughs> Then there was a kind of huge kerfuffle that broke out whilst they tried to work out to what extent we were actually foreign spies. Um, spoiler alert, we're not, but if we were, obviously I wouldn't tell you that, so we actually might be. Um, <laughs> but the point of me telling that story is that when you don't understand a particular word, but you don't know that you don't understand that word, when you hear that word, you end up projecting your own meaning into that situation with disastrous consequences. 
So in this situation, it was the word barrister. Heard barrister, it sounded like barista, similar sounding word, completely different meaning. He heard one, thought the other, made a projection, and that was completely wrong. Now, the relevance of that to today is the same is absolutely true of the word love. It's one word with completely different meanings. You know, I love my wife, I love my city, I love my football team, I love smoked barbecued meats. I had a really good brisket yesterday, in fact, like, really love that. But imagine the kind of domestic peril I would be in if I told Ellie that I loved her the way that I loved that brisket yesterday. It wouldn't really go down well because it's the same word, but it's different meaning. So it wouldn't be right to use it in that context. Um, the word love is banded around in society with so much liberty. It takes so many different forms that we end up abandoning an actual concise definition of what love actually is and end up projecting what we think it is into any given situation. And you know, similarly in church, we use the word love so much, but unless you actually stop and study what it means in terms of a biblical definition, then when you hear and you see the word love in scripture, it ends up just being an amalgamation of all of your various subjective experiences of love. And the danger with that is that when you look at a passage that Becky's just read for us and you hear things like, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been bored of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You can look at that and think, like, you know, what on earth is it actually saying? Um, same word, different meanings, depending on who is perceiving love. Um, and the danger with that in a kind of biblical and kind of Christian context is if you don't properly understand what it means when God says that he loves you, then you're missing the entire basis of his relationship with you or failing to fully grasp it. And secondly, when he then commands you to love others, you don't really know how to put that into practice because the love that you might be practicing to others is the love that you kind of receive from all your various experiences as I've been talking about. So the point of today is twofold. Firstly, to understand what love is, hopefully by looking at the scripture. And then secondly, understanding that that means that we should love each other and what that looks like in a practical, um, yeah, practical form. So firstly, um, what does it mean to say God loves us? Now, there are four unique Greek words used to describe love in scripture. I've always wanted to say a little bit of Greek up here. It's like Christianity 101 starter pack. Um, now, Andy mentioned this in his talk a few weeks, on, um, weeks ago on, on, on hospitality. Um, the four words are eros. So that's kind of the, phys the sorry, physical, sensual, sexually attracted um, type love. In biblical terms, that's kind of between husband and wife. In societal terms, 50 shades of gray. That's, <laughs> that's how it's kind of perceived. Um, secondly is storge, which is family love. That's how a parent loves their child. Thirdly is philia, and that's friendship love. So the kind of bond between two people that have grown up together. Um, and then fourthly, we have agape, um, and that is God's divine love. So actually, when you see that God loves you in scripture, 
the word that's used there is agape. It's not eros, it's not storge, it's not philia. So what we really need to do is gain an appreciation of that and of what that means. Because none of those three previously mentioned categories actually has any relevance to God's agape love for you. And that's so much so that the writer had to use a completely different word in order to describe it. Because if you use the same word, then you'd be applying all those meanings that you know the, to be, and that isn't correct. So the kind of romantic familial friendship love is so far beneath the agape love that God has for you, that if that's what your perception of it is, then that is wrong. So I really want to make the point that God's definition of love is not normal. It's completely abnormal. It's not natural. It's completely supernatural. Um, when we kind of look at the text, in fact, um, one verse in the previous chapter, 1 John 3 verse 16, I don't know if we can get that up. So this is how we know what, and it's agape, love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. What I like about 1 John is he doesn't just kind of use the word love. He gives examples of what that is so that we can deduce from the examples um, what it means. Um, a second example is in 1 John 4 verse 8 where it says, This is how God showed his agape love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then 1 John 4 verse 10, this is agape love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So here we have two examples, one with Jesus and one with God, both displaying agape love. Um, now, the thing about these two examples in particular, especially if you've kind of grown up in and around a church context, is when you hear Jesus Christ lay down his life for us, it's a phrase that's used kind of so much, you can kind of suffer from overexposure to it and you don't fully grasp and appreciate what it means. Um, the same about God sending Jesus as an atoning sacrifice. So I just want to spend a little bit of time on just drilling down into those examples and the significance of them. Now, bear in mind that society tells us love those who love you. Bear in mind that God, or rather society, had completely rebelled against God. Now, in the Old Testament, if you were aware of the Ten Commandments, one of them was do not worship any other God. The Israelites, they took that and what they did with it is you see examples all the way from Leviticus to Second Kings where they not only worship other gods, but quite literally perform human sacrifices of their own offspring to the satanic idols. Now that's a heavy example, I know, but it displays what the state of the relationship was that existed at the time when God made this, well, when God sent his son in order to die for those people. So society says, love those who love you. God has told his people not to worship other gods, and that is how they react. That's what they do. And within that context, God's reaction is to send his son as an atoning sacrifice for those people's sins. Like, that is one example of God's agape love. And you can see from that how that's so far above the eros love, the storge love, the filial love. It's completely different. Secondly, 
the example of Jesus. This is someone who was whipped, beaten, spat at, insulted, hung on a cross, left to bleed out. And he knew that that was going to happen to him. Yet in the knowledge of what was going to happen to him, he still made the choice to essentially sacrifice himself for the very people that were going to do that to him. And this isn't something that he felt like doing by any stretch of the imagination. We can see when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was literally praying to God saying, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Remember that Jesus was a man and had the same emotions and feelings as men. So put yourself in his position. Luke says that he was praying with such anguish that he developed a condition called hematohydrosis. And I actually looked this up. It's legit. And my wife's a doctor, so you can double check with that with her. This isn't fake news. Um, It's described as a rare condition characterized by blood oozing from intact skin with fear and intense emotional distress. So when Jesus was praying with an appreciation of what it is that was going to happen, he was so physically, emotionally, spiritually shaken that his sweat was literally turning into blood. Now imagine being wracked with that type of trepidation, but still making the choice to sacrifice yourself for the very people who have been insulting you, spitting at you, beating you, insulting your father, telling you you're not worthy. That's what he did. So that that displays how much it took for Jesus to do what he did. And again, is one display of what agape love is. So what it is, it's a wholesome, pure, willful, sacrificial love that's of choice, not of obligation or attraction. And once you kind of fully appreciate that God will pour out everything that is precious to him, everything that he's constituted of for your benefit, and he would do that even if you were the only person on the earth, you start to get an appreciation of what agape love is. And when you have that appreciation, then it can start to change your life. And I say that from personal experience. Um, Now, in my personal story, well, in fact, I want to start from... uh, uh, start with a quote from a, a learned man by the name of Chris Gall, who gave me this absolute corker during the Zoom chat on Friday evening. He says, God loves you. It's not a profound statement, but it is a profound reality when you experience it. Um, and that is absolutely bang on. In terms of my personal experience, um, so I lost my earthly father when I was 17. And it was a time of great trauma that happened literally in the days before I sat my A-level exams. Um, It was quite a sudden death. It was unexpected. It was a tragic accident. Um, And I remember distinctly the kind of police knocking on the doorstep, telling us what had happened. Now, um, the reason why that was so traumatic is because when you think about storge love, that's a familiar love. There are two people on earth, really, that can give that to you, your mum and your dad. So when one of them departs, that leaves a hole, a gap, where that storge love once was but isn't anymore. And that's the real traumatic thing. Now, my mom pretty much sat me down and she said to me, your life is at a crossroads now when you've got two choices. Number one, 
you can take what is happening to you and you can react, you can lash out, you can flunk your A-levels, you can decide that you now have an excuse not to do what God has put you on this earth to do and no one will hold you to account for it because you have the best excuse possible. Um, and she says the other choice is for you to really lean in and press into the fact that although you don't have an earthly father anymore, you do have a heavenly father. And that heavenly father, if you walk with him, can fill the gap that the earthly father has left by virtue of him not being here anymore. So in practice, she's saying what that looks like for you is praying to God, praying that he literally walks with you through these examinations. You can ask him questions when you're revising and the same that you might ask your dad that's no longer with us and see him pour out his love into you and just see what he does. And I was like, geez, that's actually a really powerful thing to say and didn't really give me an option not to do that because I heard it and immediately understood in my spirit that it was right. And what happened after that, and I don't say this to kind of boast by any means, was the two exams that were immediately after my dad passing, as in I'm talking about days afterwards, um, I ended up getting, I think, the highest mark in the year in two of the three papers. And I know that that was at a time where it was riddled with trauma, with anguish, with fear, with lack of sleep, and it could only have been God that got me through that. And that was a crossroads moment because it was a chance for my life to start going on the downward trajectory. But instead, once I fully started pressing into this agape love, this knowledge that there was a God that was willing to pour out absolutely everything for me, and I got that, then it kind of gives you a feeling of being bulletproof, going into any situation thinking, I'm backed by God who's behind me and he's willing to tear down any wall for my benefit. And that is something really, really powerful. And I can honestly stand here and say to you guys today that the hole that was left has been completely filled. And the reason that might have some relevance for people sitting here today is the three different types of love which are earthly love, including family love, including romantic love, including friendship love, when those things can go wrong, then they can leave similar holes. And when you try and do self-repair by trying to seek the same type of love in those contexts, it doesn't work out. And in fact, those holes get bigger. And we can all see that being played out. Whereas when you seek the agape love and the relationship with God and the one that he can give you, then from my own personal experience, that one can be completely filled and you can fill whole again. So this isn't just a kind of bit of scripture or some kind of fancy Greek words. This is the reality of what it means and what can happen when you walk with God. So what I'll say to you is, it's very important to understand that love and understand that it's easily available to us. You just have to accept that God is willing to give it to you. Now, that is all good and well in terms of kind of receiving it and the power that it can have when you do receive it. Um, but the kind of second part of that is not just receiving it, but also giving it out. Because first John, it's all about kind of vertical relationships and horizontal relationships, vertical with God, horizontal with each other. Um, and it says in first John 4.10, 
dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Um, and when it's talking about us loving one another, it's using the same love that God had for us. So it's the same agape love. So that's not the friendship one. That's not the family one. That's not the romantic one. It's the agape one. Um, it says in 1 John 4.12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So what he's saying there is, we can't see God on the earth, but when people see us loving in the way that God does, then they see a manifestation of God throughout his people. So if someone comes into church, imagine someone comes in and insults absolutely everybody in here and then leaves. And then the next week comes in again and receives a hug from everybody. They would think, what on earth was that place that I went to that didn't keep a record of my wrong? But in fact, when I came back, received me with open arms again. They would say, well, that's not normal. That's not indicative of the way society teaches us to behave. There must be something different. So when they look at us, and that difference is pointing to God. Because God loved us, so that is the love that we have to give out. And um, again, I'm all about practical kind of application. And because sometimes you have that feeling when you kind of go to church and you hear, you know, Greek words and you hear love and you hear, you know, what does that mean? What does that actually mean on a Monday or a Tuesday when I go into work and I'm faced with the realities of Sally who's annoying me because she said X, Y, Z. Um, and I think the way that I look at it is, well, God often tells you what he wants you to do if you take the time to study the scripture. And in 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 7, which is the kind of classic passage that you hear read at weddings all the time. Um, it's actually referring to agape love. And it's giving you almost a checklist of the ways that you can practically behave that can demonstrate that. Um, so what I like to do is to substitute love is for like your own name. So for example, love is, I would say, Arnie will be. And then the recipient of that is whoever in any given situation deserves to receive that thing the least. Because that, of course, is our relationship with God. That's how vertically he's displayed his love to us. So when it says love is patient, then I think I will be patient to the person who deserves patience the least. So if that, in the example, is Sally's done something to really rile you, then that is exactly the situation where you should be exhibiting patience. You know, how many times does Jesus say, if you only love those who love you, then what's the point of any of this? The person who doesn't deserve kindness is the person who you should be kind to. The person who attempts to anger you is a person that you shouldn't be angered by. And this is the key one, if someone has done you wrong, that's the person that you shouldn't keep a record of that wrong. And, you know, when I say this, I'm speaking to myself as well, because it's, it's hard to do and you have to remind yourself of this of a constant basis. But when you kind of think about it in that prescriptive way, then it helps and it really helps knowing that, well, you know, you're trying your hardest to exhibit God's love. Um, so hopefully that's um, helpful. And I think what I want to finish by doing is just... Um, kind of speaking to, to two groups, um, one being those who feel that there's a hole and there's a gap that's been left 
by the misuse of one of those types of love that I mentioned. And just to say a word of encouragement to say, those loves have let you down, but God's love will not. Um, and the second is a group who want to be helped to love other people and to say, if you're asking the Holy Spirit to help you do that on a day-to-day basis, he will. Um, and I think now I will um, hand over to Joel, um, who can lead us in a time of prayer. Um, but if anyone in those two categories specifically does want prayer, then I think uh, when we do that, you should, you should come forward. Brilliant. Thank you, Arnie, for that fantastic word. So we're just going to respond now um, with a time of prayer again. And maybe just as Arnie was speaking there, you just felt something in your heart. A sense of a past trauma, maybe, that you haven't dealt with. You're wondering what is this agape love that Arnie was speaking about. Maybe you've never experienced that in your life. You've heard of it as a concept. But it's never really been able to touch your heart. I believe God wants to reveal himself to you in this moment. And we as a church community, we just want to support you and be with you. So um, I'm just going to ask you to be bold. I'm just going to ask you to maybe come to the front if, you're, if you feel that that's you. Just come here and stand at the front. And we have a, a team of people who would love to pray with you, stand with you and just invite you into God's presence. And maybe if I can invite Lucy um, to come back up. And for the rest of us, we're just going to continue in prayer. Just meditating on God's love. Um, why don't we all stand? Let's all stand. I invite you to uh, <coughs> close your eyes. There's no magic in it. It just cuts out distractions. Um, as Joel said, we're going to wait on God for a bit. So um, another thing we often do here is we say, why don't you open up your hands? There's, again, there's no magic, but it's just a sign that we're open to God and to, uh, to this agape love that um, uh, Arnie was talking about and Joel was leading us in. So we're just gonna, I'm going to pray now. And as Joel said, if you are in any of those camps, if you want prayer, for anything at all, if you want to feel this love that can change us from the inside out, if you want to experience that, maybe it, for the first time, it might be um, that you've felt it before, but it's, you haven't felt it for a while, and that you're like, oh, I, do, I need that, I flipping need that, I'm so dry, I'm so thirsty, or any of the other things, and we're going to pray for that in a minute, so I'm just going to pray, so Holy Spirit, we thank you that we get to come to you. We thank you, God, that you poured out your love on every single person born. It's just up to us whether we accept it. There is no exceptions. There's nothing that any of us have done that can separate us from your love. Whether you did it an hour ago before you came to church, whether it's something you do every day and you're stuck 
doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. He's saying, as, as Arnie said, and as Joel was saying, that is when he loved us the most. You know, God's not stupid. You know, like he knows what we're going to do. He knows the stuff we're going to do. And he's still like, that's when I died for you. In that moment, though. So Lord, pour out your spirit. We pray for your love right now. So we're just going to wait for a little while. There's no rush. We've got time. Come, Holy Spirit. 